0: Welcome to BIO, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. BIO is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm BIO member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C., Today, we're honored to feature excerpts from a fascinating archived interview from the City University of New York's Leon Levy Center for Biography. In March 2019, author Silvana Padinostro and editor Cristobal Pena sat down in front of a Levy Center audience for a lively discussion of Padinostro's biography, Solitude and Company, The Life of Gabriel Garcia Marquez, told with help from his friends, family, fans, arguers, pranksters, drunks, and a few respectable souls. It was published by Seven Stories Press in February 2019. Gabriel Garcia Marquez, affectionately known as Gabo, wrote the landmark novel 100 Years of Solitude. So here's author Silvana Padinostro with interviewer Cristobal Peña.
1: Thank you very much, everybody, for coming here, uh, full house, uh, and, and uh, to celebrate Gabriel García Márquez, Gabo, with this uh, book that I was thinking he would uh, definitely love, and, uh, and we would ever uh, always prefer than a, a formal biography. It is the, the way to present him uh, that he would definitely love among his friends, and in a conversation, uh, something that uh, Silvana tried to convey in this book, and make the reader feel like he is among Garcia Marquez's friends, uh, drinking rum, uh, uh, Mamando Gallo, is something that she uh, can explain later the, the meaning. So, uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Silvana. uh, Thank
2: you, Cristóbal.
1: And and the first thing is is just remembering how uh, this project came to be and uh, how uh, it is uh, for me amazing to be here presenting the great edition that uh, Dan Simon brought to light uh, with uh, his usual passion. It's
0: beautiful.
1: And and, and how uh, this began in Mexico uh, many years ago, when García Márquez was still alive, by the way. I, I
2: went to your office in 2011,
1: if I can. <laughs> yes, yes, please, please, That's what because I Because wanna... I
2: think there's an important yeah. part of the puzzle missing, and it's that Cristóbal actually was the editor of the book in Spanish, which was the original, the first time uh, the party began yes. with his friends, and. You came
1: to talk about other projects.
2: Yes, yes, so first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you And thank
1: you, for the, to, the and thank li- you to,
2: to Tad and the Levy yes, Center and so this much. wonderful skylighted room. Um, so to give you a little bit of background of how this book came about and also a little parenthesis uh, about being in, in the center for biography um, is interesting because the oral history to me is kind of the compendium to the biography and to the memoir that both exist. So, so in fact, when I started writing or, or putting together the, the uh, conversations, and you, you'll see when you all read the book that it starts with Gawa was not born. You know, most biography starts with X person was born on, and you'll find out why he was not born. Um, and in fact Gabo became then, and he was made into Gabriel García Márquez, which is kind of the idea of this book, um, but to tell you how the book came to exist, I was in Mexico uh, around 2011 and I, I remember perfectly because I had just been, a few days before, to the inauguration of a museum in, do you remember this part? You were there? Yes, I, I forgot. was there. yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so <laughs> Carlos Lim, richest man in Mexico, gave a gift of a museum to the city of Mexico. And I went to the inauguration party, and I was very taken because in the stage was Carlos Slim giving his, giving his gift, the President of Mexico, Felipe Calderon, um, Baron de Rothschild, Larry King, and Gabo. And quite an interesting ribbon cutting uh, posse, and what surprised me was that Gabo was extremely, present and absent at the same time. And he cut the ribbon and there were about 2,000 people in the room and I saw how everybody swarmed to Gabo with such love, with such admiration, adoration, they didn't go to Felipe Calderon to pay respects to the, to the president. They didn't go to thank uh, Mr. Slim for giving them this uh, new gift. They all rushed to Gabo. And it was like, I had never seen that those, but I had seen the footage of all these people, fandom, when, they, when the John Lennon um, came to, to that. So, and I saw it and I said, wow, this is a Latin American, this is our Latin American John Lennon. And I remembered, I went back, in my mind, I had started doing an oral history about ten years before for Talk Magazine. It was going to be a magazine article, 2,000 words. And they wanted one on García Márquez. Because so,
1: they thought that he was going to die.
2: Yes, yes. They had done Fidel, and they, in in the very he had, perfect he style, had he had just been diagnosed with cancer. And I remember getting this phone call from the one of the editors there saying, can you do this? I actually spent three days as a student in a journalism workshop with García Márquez in Cartagena. He was starting his... Uh, journalism Foundation, which has done incredible yes. things for journalism in Latin America. I think they actually now, now like, like you do here, it's like, I'm going to read a piece by so-and-so. They've really created this auteur um, imprint of the reportage that Gabo was so passionate about. So, um, I I had gone to one of the first workshops the Foundation had done, and he was teaching, and I had written about it, so it came out in the Paris Review. Anyway, I'm, I'm also from Barranquilla. I'm not only from Barranquilla, I am from Macondo. Macondo is an area in your mind and in your body, and I, speak the language and i i'd like to say that garcia marquez is uh, coronel aureliano bondia you know the liberal who fought 32 wars fought, fought them against my great great grandfather who was the conservative general so i have been i have like macondo in my dna i understand the world that he writes about and that he lived in so when I got this phone call from Talk, and they said, well, you know, b- because it was, it was kind of Vanity Fair and New Yorker together, well, that was gonna be Tina's um, next magazine, they said, you know, and, and, and you can talk to all the presidents and maybe you can even talk to Fidel Castro and you can talk to, to all the mm, Hollywood people, they wanted luminaires, and I said, Let me propose something to you. I will talk to people you've never heard about, but they all come out in his books. And so I arrived in Barranquilla with my tape recorder and I called my uncle who knew what he calls his first and last friends, that's how he refers to them in the last chapter of 100 Years of Solitude, and I started getting those stories.
1: They were still alive, that is the the, uh, amazing thing, because uh, the last person they talked to were you.
2: Yes, uh, in fact, one of the sad things is when I was redoing the bios of the voices from this book, I had to write 12 or 13, and he died. Yes, among them Carmen um, Balcells. Among them Carmen (laughs) Balcells, yes, yes. Yes. Who Cristobal and I spoke to two, three days after Cabo's death, and that's, when you read the book, remember, she was speaking with a broken voice. Mm -hmm. So, back to the original tapes, the first wave of interviews, I did my story, I handed it to Talk, but I had the best time. First of all, it was it was the golden days of journalism. You know, the Talk was owned by Miramax, which was owned by Disney. So I remember I would say I now need to go to Mexico because that's where he wrote One Hundred Years of Solitude. And in Barranquilla, you know, I, and in Bogota, I would find. I mean, there are people who know everything about García Márquez in Colombia. I mean, there's one guy in Barranquilla who has calculated how many nights Gabo slept in Barranquilla.
0: I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. it. (laughs)
2: There, but nobody knew who was the two names that uh, García Márquez dedicated 100 years of solitude was. Jomi and Maria Luisa. Mexico. I knew they were Mexican. Spanish refugees. So I said to talk, and now I have to go to Mexico. And I got my ticket with Disney, Mickey Mouse in the, in the, in the envelope. And I arrived in Mexico and I talked to Maria Luisa, who was. Uh,
1: That's a very important conversation. Integral, anyway.
2: because she, she kind of. I think, gave him a little bit more of uh, assurance that he was ready to write 100 Years of Solitude because he had tried to write 100 Years of Solitude when he started writing, and only maybe 15, 20 years later does he actually sit down in Mexico City, drops everything, and 18 months it took him to actually write it down, but it's been in his head, I think, forever. Um, So, I like to say Toc died before Gabo. They closed the magazine. Never published. And uh, the Paris Review published them. Uh, Plimpton knew that I was doing that. He published them in the 50th edition of the Paris Review, and I thought that was it. Just a selection. Yeah, that's just a selection. In fact, I had never heard the conversations, um, and here it's so interesting because it's about oral history, which I think is a beautiful genre, which you know, it kind of fell on my lap, and now I, I, I want to be an advocate for it. Um, I never heard them because talk was in such a hurry, because Gabo was so sick, according to them, that I would take the interviews, the tapes, at the end of the interview I would rush to the DHL office, which is like the Latin American FedEx, and they were um, delivered to a translator, but I had explained to talk that it couldn't be their normal translator that could understand Spanish because these were uh, interviews done in a dialect. Barranquilleros speak a very slangy Spanish and not only is it slangish, it's, it's, it's infused with age and memory. It has to be someone who understood the material. So a wonderful Barranquillero poet Miguel Falquez, would receive these tapes in Sunnyside. So there, there was never a transcript of the Spanish. So I did a 2,000, 3,000 word magazine story, came out in, Soled- in, in Paris Review, and that was the end of it.
1: We go back to Mexico. We go
2: back to Mexico, Museo Sumaya, I see Gabo, I remember the tapes, and by total chance, I had to go see Mr. Cristobal Pera, who I did not know, but he was the editor of Penguin Random House in Mexico City, and I had just published a book, my my second book about Colombia, and I was adamant of having it translated. So I come in with my Colombian war, convincing Cristobal to translate and publish my book, no interest. <laughs> it's like, when, <laughs> when it, the, and I don't know why I mentioned Garcia Marquez. His eyes lit up, and it was like we, we, it was like, a, 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 we found Gabo connection, and we spent the next three hours. Talking about García Márquez, because also Cristóbal and you'll you'll fill in where I'm. Was in a way, he was in Mexico, and he, if I remember correctly, you you would tell me that you would see him. Yeah. You would go very and often. have lunch with him, and these were the days when he was very homebound. There was still um, talk that he was writing, and and little by little, Cristóbal. Who is from Barcelona, and
1: from Sevilla? Back where, back where, back but but <laughs>
2: um, was also the editor of his memoirs.
1: Yeah, I worked so, in the, when I was in Barcelona. I worked so, in the, the, the distance with it. him. I didn't know him at the time.
2: Yes, um, and it's very interesting because correct me if I'm wrong. He was going to write a very, uh, you know, it stops like when he leaves. Barranquilla, mm-hmm. and he gets to Paris. So there's, there's from Paris to the end that we don't know how he would have told that story, but the, the book that he did publish with, with Cristobal is the years that he spent from, from his birth to the time where he was spending time with his first and last friends in Barranquilla. So it's really interesting, because there were conversations I was having, uh, characters that you had read about from his perspective. So I came out of that meeting with Cristobal, not with a translation from my Colombian more, (laughs) but (laughs) with a great new project. Let's make an oral history of 100 Years of Solitude. So I had to go back and find those tapes. I transcribed them, get
1: new material,
2: and and then we read them together, and it's like, okay, this was a magazine piece. This needs to be given uh, more more scope and and give it a foundation. And so, I went for a second round of interviews, and that's um, how Cristobal and I did this book together. Came out in Spanish in 2014 and then Dan Simon of Seven Stories Press said I want to do it in English and this is the book in English so it's a long-winded way of telling you the story of how it came about
1: um there's so many things to talk about this uh, this book and it's funny because we are in a conversation as uh, is uh, most of it, the book is a conversation where voices come and go without interruption, just uh, segmented by the chapters that you put together to give some uh, chronological uh, backbone to, to the book. But I think that there are uh, some themes that uh, we could explore that, uh, course, that you talk course. about in the book. Yes,
2: uh, and the other thing I found out is that more people than I thought had encounters with Garcia Marquez. He was a sociable guy and he liked being with people yeah. and people came up to, to him because he was accessible and a star and so I remember like when I was doing the first round of interviews, I would go back to my hotel and there were people waiting for me in the lobby saying, I wanna tell you this story. I want to. I, I have another story. My phone would ring, and so it, it's like a chain. But, but I also found out that there were other people that had told their story in a certain way. It was kind of had the 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 way Garcia Marquez liked the story, and I thought that was that was completely understandable but it would be fun and interesting to tell uncensored stories, so you will find some of those too. Unfiltered stories. Unfiltered stories.
1: Um, you could explain something about Mamar and Gallo that is uh, an expression that uh, has a difficult uh, translation, and, and then we, I would like to talk about some uh, um, oppositions or binary terms and we could, uh, that are exploring the book in a way, the coast uh, um, uh, and uh, the center of Colombia. And this is a coastal book you know, uh, uh, also about journalism and how uh, in this uh, biography is very clear how his origins were in journalism. And, and uh, for some people, uh, uh, this is surprising. The creator of magical realism someone who supposedly lived in imagination and creation, uh, his roots were in the, the, in facts. And, and and he always said, and repeated mostly at the end of his life that he considered himself a journalist before, more than a a, more than a fiction writer. Yes, and, no, he, has,
2: he has said to s- make
1: it more, uh,
2: many times that to write magical realism, you have to be a journalist in Colombia. So, um, he worked as a journalist but he always was writing fiction. He wrote some short stories that were published mm-hmm. in El Espectador, that were surreal. He he wrote um, Eva está en su gato, Eva is in her cat, which is so it's very very surreal. He but he was he was writing reportage. Yeah. I mean, and film reviews and publishing. You know, now they found out that they're used to they used to publish a paper. Jaime Abello, who runs his foundation, was telling me that they had, when he was in Barranquilla, they had a little newspaper called Comprimido, yeah. compressed. It was, his, it his was first. like it was like he invented Twitter, <laughs> you know. His first uh,
1: creation of a publication. He he, he created uh, uh, like four in his life, and he was. Yes was the first one, of uh, the, the, the smallest... Uh,
2: the smallest newspaper.
1: Newspaper, <laughs> you know, uh, with the very short sentences giving uh, pills, you know?
2: Yes. But if you ask my, my personal opinion, I think that Gabo's fiction is more barrier-breaking than his journalism. I also think, and it's in the book, and it's told to me by Jose Salgar, if you remember, the, his editor. El El, El, El Espectador, the the newspaper where he was a cub reporter. And um, Jose Salgar would say to him, because Gabo would come very unslept, you know, looking very tired, very disheveled, uh, because he was working during the day in the newspaper, which was his main job, his salary but he would stay up all night writing fiction. Yes, yes. Writing fiction. And Jose Salgar would tell him, tienes que torcerle el cuello al cisne. You must wring the swan's neck.
1: What meaning?
2: Meaning you have to concentrate on journalism and. Exactly,
1: you have to kill the, the the, the the literary the, uh, uh, the, the flying the dots, fl- yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I think it's all very intertwined, and lives are very intertwined, and it's it's why one thing happens to the other. But I think that Garcia Marquez, from what one hears his uh, his siblings say, he wanted to write a novel that would be as important as Don Quixote for the Spanish language. And in fact, when he met Mercedes, his wife, when he, she, was, they were, she was, they were very young, and um, she was not so interested, and she said, he said to him, you should marry me because I will one day be a famous writer. And when he arrived in Cartagena, these are, these are just my points, to, to, it's not like he sat one day and wrote 100 years of solitude like that. He studied very consciously, which I think is the beauty of what he's done is because, yes, you can have talent, but to me, finding out that in the world of Mamar Gallo and of Caribbean you know, Mañana that he had the rigor and discipline. the discipline yeah. to make this work yeah. that really well, catapulted yeah, I, think, him. I think
1: he knew that he had to leave Colombia. To uh, do it. To, to do it, no doubt about it. First of all, first he, he, he goes to Europe when he has to leave because of the reportage he wrote about the, the, sail, the sailor, the shipwreck uh, and that was as a scandal and then the government was going to do something to him and, and, and that first uh, uh, distance that he takes yeah. from, from Colombia is so important for him. But later on, uh, he the first thing he does is, uh, after um, uh, spending some time in Venezuela is uh, Coming to New York, he he spent like six months in New York City ah, uh, yes. as correspondent uh, for, for the for the, the newly created uh, Cuban uh, press agency, and then he decides that he's this is not the place where he wants to live, and uh, and, and then well, he goes. He starts
2: getting he starts getting threatening threats. Formal, yes, yes,
1: and there is a big FBA, FBI file that Hoover had on him, and uh, of course he was uh, working with a Cuban, so uh, and he goes back. To, thinking that he might return to Colombia, uh, crossing all the former territory, as he tells very clearly, and they finally stay in Mexico, but that distance from, uh, was from crucial. Colombia was crucial, crucial. To, for, crucial. for in him. In fact,
2: I, I think he I... would have
1: never written never, in years of solitude in Colombia. Never,
2: never. I, I, and I, I think that was another one of the um, currents that I wanted to make sure the reader got it's it's the impetus, the study that went into it. I I have a vivid image of a story that Hector Rojas Eraso, who was a poet and a journalist that worked with him in El Universal in Cartagena. This is before El Espectador, and he said that they would walk up and down. They would worked together in, in the press room, and at night they would just go up and down talking, trying to figure out how they could write a novel that would put Latin America in the literary map. They knew what the Russians had done, they knew that what the French had done, and they really studied, in fact, Rojas Eraso says, and it's been said before that, he loved the Tolstoy phrase, tell the story of your village and you will be universal. But how, in what language do you say it? And I think that's what he was struggling with. He knew he wanted to tell a story. In fact, when he was living in Barranquilla, the first draft, let's say, of, of 100 Years of Solitude was called La Casa Grande. And if you remember uh, our conversations about the, what I call the pranksters or the drunks in the title, they would tell stories about how, oh, that boar Garcia Gabito is arriving to the bar with his manuscript under his arms. And he would tell us what he was writing about and we thought it was so bad. And it was the first travel of 100 years, which took him 20 years to write. So, so it, was, it was a conscious decision, but also providence. And it's not that I believe in providence, but he does. And it's a word he uses a lot in his books, La Providencia, and he looks for ways, but there are things that happen that he has no control of. He is sent to Geneva to cover uh, a big uh, meeting in Geneva and then he trades in his ticket, he goes to Paris and he starts writing his columns, but then because of the the censorship, El Espectador gets shut down and he's stuck in Paris. So he can't write journalism anymore and he has no money because his only money was the, the checks that they were sending him from Bogota, Colombia to Paris before PayPal, Um, you know, very complicated. So he goes to Rome to study study film, 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 which is interesting. And he was he was always very interested in filmmaking. Yeah. Um, He starts writing. He writes. No one writes to the colonel in Paris, and then one of his best friends, because this is the other thing about If there are two two, uh, lessons I think for me that I learned from doing all this work, which my intent was not to write his biography, although I think it's a story of Gabo in all his contradictions, all his sides. The discipline that he had and that he surrounded himself and had the best friends, the importance of friendship. And actually, that's why I like calling it Solitude and Company, because a writer requires both. And that brings in discipline and everything. But it's really interesting you mentioned the film school, because the title comes from one of the people from Bogota that knew him, um, told him that after he wrote 100 Years of Solitude and he went from really being a struggling writer to being a famous rich man and because there was some, some relationship he had with film that was very interesting, he started a film company with Fernando Restrepo, and they called it Solitude and Company. So I thought it was, it was then, a nice, uh, nice little- his
1: elder son became a, a filmmaker, which is- And uh, now
2: we know that they're- a very they're
1: interesting-
2: Making yeah. 100 Years of Solitude as a yeah. Netflix series, which is really interesting because, and this is a story I was never able to prove, but he had said, and Carmen did say, when 100 Years of Solitude came out. It shook the world, it became a huge bestseller, and, uh, and Hollywood knocked on his door. And there is a story I heard, but I, and I tried to get Francis Ford Coppola to, to verify it, but I wasn't able to, but Francis Ford Coppola really wanted to make 100 Years of Solitude when it came out, and you know offered him seven figures, which in those days was a lot of money, and he, he, although he had now the success, financial success of 100 Years of Solitude, still he said no, he said he couldn't envision his characters being portrayed. But maybe it's also because he also had this relationship with film that is unfulfilled. Um, but now the family has so the rights to, of, to 100 years of solitude and it will be made into a Netflix series. Now,
1: I, I think that uh, probably the, the effect of Roma by Guarón has, uh, has something to do. And how to demonstrate how their commitment is to, um, I mean the fact that it, it will be in Spanish that can, can be maybe a series, not a movie. It is
2: a, gonna be a it's series. It's going so I, they can
1: develop and not just simplify and, and uh, the fact that the son is gonna be a producer, yes. all this gives them the opportunity yes. to say yes now. And I think they, they, are, they are right. Yes. But I wanted to uh, ask you the last question because I wonder sometimes how uh, reading uh, Garcia Marquez, and then writing about him, then uh, having the, the amazing uh, 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 chance to, to meet him and, and being his editor of his last, last books, uh, and work directly with him, uh, changed my life. And it's obvious, it has changed my life in many, many, many respects. And uh, uh, I think, and I've seen people whose lives have been changed just reading him. No, they didn't have to meet him. I've, I've met people in Mexico well, from, from, America. Uh, from UK <laughs> who uh, live in Mexico because they read One Day, 100 Years of Solitude. So in that regard, I think that he has changed m- lives of many people. No? And, and I wanted to ask you, how has he changed your life? No?
2: Um, he's changed many people's lives. In fact, there is a Dutch guy who after he read 100 Years of Solitude moved to Aracataca and changed his name to Tim Buendia. <laughs> um, I'm still called Silvana Paternostro, but being so close to him and always wanting to be a storyteller. I think that what I get from Gabo is, and I hear him saying this when, he was, when I was sitting next to him in the workshop, is find a really good story. Tell it in the best way possible. And that is kind of my mantra. Yeah. And he did it better than many, most. So I feel privileged to have had that opportunity. You know, I don't know if you remember, but Carmen Barcells, who was very torn when she spoke to us about Gabo, but she also, I don't think, lost her sense of humor, I don't know what to call it, but she said to me, they will be a Gabo religion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Gabomania. Gabo manía, gabo in the future, no? in no, the no, future. No.
0: Yes. That was author Silvano Padinostro, interviewed by editor Cristobal Pena on March eighteenth, twenty nineteen, in the City University of New York's Leon Levy Center for Biography. Padinostro's book *Solitude and Company: The Life of Gabriel Garcia Marquez* told with help from his friends, family, fans, arguers, pranksters, drunks, and a few respectable souls, was published by Seven Stories Press in February 2019. Thanks again to the Leon Levy Center and to the featured authors for granting us permission to share this interview. To learn more about bio or to hear other episodes in our podcast series, please visit our website, biographersinternational.org. I'm Bio member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. Enzo De Palma created our theme music. And until next time, thanks so much for listening and have a great day.